Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm sitting here this afternoon. It's a rainy day out. And I have a book here titled Treasury of British Eloquence. And this book uh, was published in 1877. And, uh, you know, I think it would be interesting if I read a little bit of this book to you. Uh, so it was, let me get the stats on it and let's see where it was. The Treasury of British Eloquence, the new palace at Westminster, William P. Nemo, London, 14 King William Street. Strand and Edinburgh. So that must be where it's published. And, uh, or else maybe it's just the picture or something. And, uh, it was published in 1877. So let's get a little, do a little reading of this book. So I'm starting with the preface. Here we go. Amongst the multitude of speeches, sermons, and addresses annually delivered in the United Kingdom, only a few are permanently preserved. Charles Dickens once remarked, no sooner do the leaves begin to fall from the trees than pearls of great price begin to fall from the lips of the wise men of the east and north and west and south and anybody may have them by the bushel for the picking up. That many of these pearls are worth picking up and resetting, no one will doubt. The, the curtain of oblivion will fall soon enough over the remainder. But when utterances are given by men who express the mind of the time, Lend a stimulus to every good and great enterprise. Speak in language generally understood and clothed with grace and truthfulness. We have here one plea for their preservation. Some may hear of a great orator and find both stimulus and refreshment in his words, but he serves a much higher purpose than this. The impartial student, when he has read and mastered the history of his own country, as written by the ordinary historian, may yet be very far from any direct illumination as to the ordinary life of the people and the hidden, hidden springs and motives which led to a certain national or individual course of action. In many cases, he has been dealing with but the outer life of the time and with generalities. He requires something which will give life and reality to his knowledge, and this he may find in a correct acquaintance with the life of a particular period, as found in its eloquence or in its statute books. 
It is here that the utterances of the divines and statesmen will commend themselves to the mind of the flip the page in to the mind of the student. They have had their share in molding the national life. They are now exponents to us through the printed page as they were face to face with the men of their own age, of the common passions and tendencies of their time, and as such their utterances are of high historical value. The reader may here glean some of the important facts of history and the mind of the time, not as these appeared to some remote historian who unconsciously carries into his work many prejudices and preconceived notions. Here also he finds the very words of the men who were actors in and who helped to make the history of the country. Their words found, and may still find, an echo in the life of the nation. They were thrilled through and through with the forces and vitalities of their age, and by their words they helped to mold the destinies of coming generations. As they were true to the realities of religion, of the national and individual life, so will the force and permanence of their speaking be. Read in this light, we are not in a position to despise the orators of our country. In this way, perhaps, Carlyle has termed his biography of Oliver Cromwell the letters and speeches of Oliver Cromwell. Although correct parliamentary reporting as a system was not fully organized until after 1815, yet we have many notable speeches preserved to us of a much earlier date. In, in the time of Sir John Elect, 1590 to 1632, and much later, it was common for speakers in Parliament to impart their speeches to their friends, who caused them to be transcribed. In this way, parliamentary intelligence is were circulated in mass to certain parts of the kingdom where otherwise it might never have reached. Lord Macaulay tells that us that in eighteen. 1685, the newspaper, for the most part, consisted of perhaps a royal proclamation, two or three formal addresses or notices of promotion, a description of a highwayman, of a cockfight, or an advertisement regarding a stray dog. The most important parliamentary debates and state trials were passed over in profound silence. In the way already mentioned, private notes were kept of Queen Elizabeth's parliaments and those of James James I and II and of the long parliament. The Gentleman's Magazine in August 1735 began to give a monthly synopsis of the debates in parliament. 
These debates are said to have been done for this magazine from 1740 to 1743 by Dr. Johnson, who, with his well-known political bias, took care that the Whig dogs should not have the best of it. Thirty years after this time, the same plan was adopted by the newspapers. Still in the earlier part of this volume, the pulpit is perhaps best represented owing to the scarcity of reported speeches. The leading idea in the present compilation has been to furnish specimens of the speeches, sermons, and addresses of some of the greatest statesmen, divines, and others of the last four centuries, arranged in chronological order with brief biographies, biographies and notes. The term eloquence has been limited to spoken utterances, otherwise the field might have been practically limitless. The specimens given are sought to be either interesting in themselves or as read in the light of history. For example, the progress of the Eastern question may be traced from the illusion of Latimer that Thou shalt first kill the great Turks and discomfort and thrust them down through the speeches of Fox, R.I. Scheel, and on to the statesmen of recent times. Considerable space has been given to the great speeches of Edmund Burke, William Pitt, Sheridan, Broman, Disraeli, Gladstone, etc. The great divines will also be found well represented. It was the advice of a noted speaker to a young orator that he should deeply meditate on the beauties of our old English authors, the poets, the moralists, and perhaps more than all, all of these, the preachers of the Augustan age of English letters. Hold on here. Okay. So where are we? The speeches of Sir John Eliot and Cromwell, of Lord Belhaven on the union between England and Scotland, throw light on the special periods of the history of our country. The great lawyers are also represented. The addresses of Lord Lytton, Carlyle, Maurice, J.A. Froud, etc., on literary and educational topic topics, from the eminence of the speakers, not less than the intrinsic merit of their utterances, will be found worthy of all attention. Although 74 names are included, yet fully to represent the great flipping page the great speakers in the political, legal, and ecclesiastical world was impossible to the present case, even had it been desirable. The editor is aware that had the volume been twice its present size, only relative completeness would have been gained. The length of the specimens 
is in no sense intended to be representative of the eminence or public worth of the speakers. Through want of space and other reasons, some names have been omitted, which, as originally intended, would be would have found a place in the collection. These omissions, it is hoped, however, are both few and unimportant. Except in the case of Jeremy Taylor, whose sermons are overloaded with classical allusions, no liberties have been taken with the text, which stands as given by the best authorities. In the preparation of the earlier part of the volume, Dr. Goodrich's select British eloquence has been freely drawn upon. The best thanks of publisher and compiler are here accorded to those authors and publishers who have very kindly permitted the use of much copyright matter. To Dean Stanley, Mr. J.A. Froud, and Reverend C.H. Spurgeon, to Mesmer Longman and Company, Macmillan and Company, Henry S. King and Company, Daldy Isbister and Company, and Mesmer's uh, Passamore and Alabaster. Huh. So, that was the, um, that was the introduction of the book, and now on my next uh, recording, I'll read the first story, and maybe another one. Okay, have a good day.